Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the God who knows everything. You know all about what's going on here this morning, and you know each one of us. And Lord, your desire for us is that we would know you more and more. And that in knowing you, we would love you, and we would love others as well. I pray that you would guide us into those truths, that you would open our hearts, fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we submit to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in Lesson 5 of our Discipleship Series, so there are 10 lessons in this, so we're halfway through the lessons here. Today we're going to be talking about what Jesus emphasized in the Great Commandment, where he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's really a high calling, and in fact, as I was thinking about it last night, the thought occurred to me again, how can I describe to you all how to love God? How, how do I do that? It's just this all-encompassing term that is to be the goal of our lives. How do we do that? How, how do we grow in our love for God? How can we even begin to talk about it this morning? Well, one of the answers to that, of course, would be that we would look to God's Word and see what He has for us in that. We are first and foremost to love God. And as I just prayed, out of our love for God, flowing from that, we are to love others. As we do those two things, the Bible tells us that we produce fruit. Actually, that God produces fruit in us. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today in John 15 that talks about the fruit that God wants to produce. And he uses an analogy there, the the analogy of the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Now in that passage, just a little uh, tip for understanding it as a whole, the word fruit in this passage is an all-encompassing term. You might ask, well, what, what kind of fruit is he talking about? And I would say it's pretty much anything that's pleasing to God, whether we're talking about the fruit of winning converts to Christ, or whether we're talking about the fruit of growing in joy, or the fruit of Christian character, or the fruit of loving others, pretty much anything that would fit into that category of things that we do that please God, that's the fruit that God wants to produce in us. And and there's no missing the point of this passage. We are to have that fruit produced in us. Now, I want to use an illustration, and it's it's one of my favorite illustrations, and the reason it's one of my favorite illustrations is probably because it's one of the highlights of my life. What this, this story that I'm about to tell. It's a story from when I was a missionary in Turkey. And I know I've told this story probably a few years ago. So some of you have heard it, but I love it so much I want to share it again. It's the story of... Do uh, we need you for a second here? Okay. I'll just grab my keys from you then. Everything okay? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Back to my story here. It's the story of a guy I met named Hyrula when I was ministering in Turkey. He was what we would call a seeker. He was coming around to the things that we were doing, and he was interested in the gospel. And I, he became one of my friends, and I shared the gospel with him many times. I, I know that he understood it because I was sharing the gospel with somebody else one time, and he chimed in and was sharing the gospel as well, even when he wasn't a Christian. Uh, but he, he knew the gospel. One day he came up to me and he said, Eric, I had a dream. Would you interpret it for me? And I thought, whoa, whoa. I'm no Joseph, I'm no Daniel. Um, but I thought, you know, where else is this guy going to go? I said, okay, Hyrule, tell me your dream. So he, he told me his dream. And a little bit of background on my friend Hyrule. He managed, his family owned and he managed this beautiful, beautiful citrus farm nestled into some rugged hills in the countryside of Turkey. And it was just this, he, he took me on a tour of it one day and we were walking around and it was just 
unlike anything I'd ever seen, beautiful, beautiful orange trees. And we were walking around, and he said, Eric, take an orange, take a bite. So I took an orange, I peeled it, I took a bite, and it, it was just so awesome. It was just unlike any other orange I'd ever... I, I like oranges, but this was just far above and beyond. A after the first bite I took, I just wanted to squeeze the whole rest of my, that orange in my face, and then get another one and do the same thing, just let the juices run down, and it was so good. <laughs> Maybe that's odd for some of you, but that's what I wanted to do. So this is my story. Um, <laughs> So Hyrula then, he, he took me around the rest of the, the trees and showed me all that he did there. And he said, I, I want to take you up to the hills too. And, and remember, the, the trees were just kind of nestled right into this kind of crescent, sort of a rugged hill structure. And he said, we're going to do some hiking because I want to take you up to a castle. It's an honest-to-goodness castle. I, I don't know who used to live there, but it was, it was a real castle up in the hills. And, and we hiked up there, and it was a really cool hike, and it was this really cool castle, and it overlooked the... the the uh, farm there where the trees were. It was just a beautiful place. Okay, so back to Hyrule. He comes to me and says, Eric, I had this dream. Would you tell me what it, what it meant? I said, okay, give it a shot. He said, in my dream, I was in the castle. I was on the lower level, and Jesus was on the upper level. And, and he said, I know it was Jesus. You know, when you're dreaming, you just know who it is. It was Jesus, and he said, Hyrule, come up to me. So I came up to him. And then when I, when I was up there with him, he said, look out. And he had me look over my farm, and my farm was so much more fruitful than I could have ever imagined. He said, can you tell me what that dream means? And, and I, th I thought, boy, I think I know what this one means. Maybe some of you are, are with me on this. Maybe you can figure it out as well. But I said, I think there's two parts of your dream. The first part is that Jesus is calling you up to him, that he wants to save us from where we are, to pull us up to him. And remember, I'd already described to Hyrule what it means to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I said, Jesus is calling you to receive him as Savior and Lord so that you can have a relationship with him. And then the second part of your dream is that in that relationship with him, he wants to do something for you. The fruit that you saw in your dream is not the fruit of your farm. It's the fruit that he wants to produce in your life. I said, that picture of that farm is you, the you that God wants you to be if you come to him. Now, don't take my word for it just because it was some guy's dream and that was my interpretation. The truth is that we'll see in Scripture here, God wants to produce fruit in us. Again, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and God wants to produce fruit. We don't produce it ourselves. God does it through us as we submit to Him, as we remain connected to Him. So let's read John 15:1 through 17. This is in your bulletin, or, or at least the part of it that would fit in there. John 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever, whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Pretty clear as we read through that, God wants to produce fruit in us. That's what he does. That's, that's what brings him glory, fruit in us. Now, there are several commands in this passage, but one of them, which I think is the main command of this passage, is repeated twice. The command to remain in Jesus. In verse 4, he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. In verse 9, he says, Now remain in my love. What we're talking about today is what some people call abiding in Christ. In our core values document, which, by the way, the lessons 1 through 6 in this series, or excuse me, lessons 2 through 7 in our series are from our core values document. And in our core values document, we describe it as fellowship with God. When it talks about being connected to the vine, that's what we're talking about, fellowship with God. But overall today, my sermon has two points, and the first point has to do with that fellowship with God, and I put it this way. We must remain in Jesus pretty obvious from reading this passage that we were created to have fellowship with God. God loves us and wants us to have an eternity-long relationship with Him. Now, obviously, that includes heaven, but it also, I don't want you to miss this, this is crucial in our discipleship series, life with God includes life on earth, the life that we're called to live right now. God wants us to walk with Him and know Him more and more. That's what it means for us to be disciples, is to walk with Him to know him more. That's why it says in verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Or you could translate that last part, that you bear much fruit, that you may be my disciples. They were already his disciples when Jesus said that to him. He wanted them to continue. Leon Morris, the theologian, said, always the true disciple is becoming more fully a disciple. So we're, we may be disciples already, we're to become more fully disciples. And Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. That's always been God's desire, that we would be his disciples, that his people would produce his fruit. Now in the Old Testament, the analogy that God often used was the analogy of a vine. And Israel was that vine, and Israel was supposed to produce fruit. But what we see so often as we read the Old Testament is that Israel didn't live up to what they were called to, and too often they were not nearly as fruitful as they should have been. But now the analogy is a little bit different. Do you, do you notice that important shift that the Bible has made? That Jesus is now the vine. And because Jesus has come and saved us, and because the Holy Spirit now empowers us, we can live the fruitful lives that God has called us to live. God can produce that fruit in us. That's why it says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Now, it, that last part, he will bear much fruit, is actually a, a present tense. 
that means it's not just some future thing that's going to happen. It means it's to be the present and continual state of the Christian that we are to continually bear fruit as we remain connected to Jesus. God wants us to bear fruit. He's done what's necessary for us to bear that fruit. And the way we do that is by staying connected to Jesus. Now, as I say that, it, it, it occurs to me that we know this, right? I mean, for those of you that have been walking with God for a long time, you know that you need to stay connected to Jesus, right? But the reason that we come back here and, and look at a passage that may be so familiar to us is because we're only here for a short time. It might seem like a long time. It might seem like you have many years left or maybe just a few but eternity is coming, and we need to be prepared. We need to keep reminding ourselves of the importance of remaining connected to the vine. So it's no trouble for me again to repeat it here today. And that's, that's why we come together, to remind each other, to say, this is what is important. We must do this. And there may be some others of you here who are just kind of starting to, to check out Christianity and, and saying to yourselves, well, you know, it, it kind of looks good, but I wonder if it's going to be worth it. I just want to assure you of what is said here, that there is the only way that we can produce fruit is by remaining connected to Jesus. And it's worth it. I can, I can give you that as my own personal testimony. It's worth it to continue in Jesus. That's why my first point today is we must remain in Jesus. But what I want to do is I want to show you four ways that we can remain in Jesus. So under point one, I've got A, B, C, and D there. And uh, my point one is a lot longer than my point two. Point two. So when, uh, when we're done with point number D there at the end, we'll, we'll be wrapping up shortly. But hang with me here. Four ways that we remain in Jesus. Point number A. Number A, can you say that? Point, point letter A, how about? We remain in Jesus through the Word. Through the Word. Now, it's kind of been neat to me to see how this discipleship series has been going along and building off of each other. I didn't necessarily plan it that way, but last week we talked about the Word and its importance in our lives, and today we see it again. Remaining in Jesus is connected to the Word. In verse 3, Jesus says, You are already clean because of the Word I have spoken to you. And then in verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. God's Word not only sanctifies us, as we learned last week, it also cleanses us. God's words are to remain in us. So if we want fellowship with God, if we want to bear fruit, we need to have a vital connection with the Word of God. God has mercifully and lovingly given us His Word. And when we, when we think about what it truly is, it's staggering. It's the God of the universe giving us His message so that we can walk with Him. We may treat it so commonly, but it really is a miracle, a gift from God. Now, I talked at length on this topic last week, so I won't belabor the point again, but I will say again that I urge you to remain connected to God's Word. I urge you to get in the daily practice of reading from God's Word and meeting with Him. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So my application for this part is let God's word change you. Figure out how to hide it in your heart. Hiding it in your heart isn't just simply a matter of reading it. It's a matter of meeting with God as we read it. It's not even simply a matter of memorizing it. It's deeper than that. It's about letting it soak into us and letting it change us from the inside. 
So get to know God's word. Spend time in it daily and meet with God there. Make it a priority in your life. I I just want to mention, uh, repeat something that I said last week. We make time for the things in our lives that are important to us. We make decisions all over the place to make sure that we have time for what we deem truly important. Sometimes we make the wrong decisions. Sometimes we say that something is important when it's really not important to us. But I believe that overall we make time for what is important to us. Is God's word important to you? And then again, it's not just about reading God's word. It's about meeting with God as we read his word and letting him do his work in our hearts. Okay, let's move on to letter B. We remain in Jesus as the Father prunes us. As the Father prunes us. Verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Notice that whether you're a fruitful branch or not, you're going to experience God's cutting in your life. It's going to prune you or cut you off. But either way, there's going to be something uncomfortable. Good gardeners, of which I am not one, know that you need to prune some plants if you want them to thrive. It just seems counterintuitive to me that you're telling me that if I want this plant to thrive, I actually need to lop off part of it. But yeah, that's exactly what is true in gardening. And that's the way, spiritually speaking, that it works for us too. Sometimes God takes us through a difficult process. And, you know, it's even hard for me to say that sometimes because I know some of the difficult processes that God has taken some of you through. And we know they're not fun. But God does that for us in part, or when, when God does that for us, he's doing it so that we might become more fruitful. Yes, it's painful and difficult. And when you look at verse 6, I mean, this passage gets even more difficult. It talks about the branches that are picked up, thrown away, thrown into the fire, and burned. It, it doesn't work very well for those branches that lose their connection to the vine. But for those of us that remain connected to the vine, we face the pruning of God, too. I remember one time when I felt this pruning um, in, in a very sharp way. It was the summer of 2001. I was on a summer project with Campus Crusade for Christ in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I was sitting on, down in my bed to read my daily devotionals for that day, and I started in John 15, and my goal was to continue reading on. I read verse 1, and then I read verse 2, and I was just stopped in my tracks. I read that verse about every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And I, I just thought to myself, that's, that's what's happening to me. And just like this wave of emotion came over me that that's why my life has felt difficult lately because God is pruning me. And I, I had intended to continue on, read a couple chapters in my devotionals that day, but I, I spent the whole time instead just thinking about verse 2, thinking about how difficult things had been, but then also through that process of realizing what God was doing, thanking Him and saying, okay God, this means that you're up to something. I, don't, I haven't liked what I've been going through, but it means you're doing something. The truth is that we remain in Jesus, we remain in fellowship with God in part through the pruning that he does for us. Will you submit to God in that? Will you let him have his way? And if God takes you through a season of pruning, will you praise him in the midst of it? 
The end result of pruning is more fruit, and we want more fruit, right? Now, we don't like the pruning process, and I'm not suggesting that you should shout, yippee, the next time God gets out his pruning shears on you. That, that, I don't think that God is asking us to lie to ourselves and to say, boy, I sure am enjoying this. But I think that we can have an attitude of saying to God, thank you. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Let's let God do his masterful work of pruning so we can be more fruitful. Okay, the first two letters there, A and B, are we remain in Jesus through the word and through the Father's pruning. Letter C is that we remain in Jesus through obedience. Obedience. Verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Two truths here. God loves us deeply. God has wonderful plans for our lives. You believe those? I do. If we believe those things, we need to realize that one of the ways that we remain connected to this God who loves us and has good plans for us is by obeying what he has told us. Our enjoyment of God's love depends on our response to his love. Our joy comes from our response to his commands. Look at verse 11. Jesus tells us why he tells us to obey him. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Complete joy? Anybody want that? If so, let's obey God's commands. Not only will we bear fruit, not only will we receive joy, but also according to verse 14, we get to be called friends of Jesus. Jesus himself set the example here. He submitted to the Father's commands for his life, to the Father's will for his life. Now, Jesus asks us to obey his commands. Think about how well it worked for Jesus, how well it worked out for us that he obeyed the Father's commands. Now that same Jesus is asking us to obey his commands. And it's not just here. I found at least four other places in the Bible that say this. We're in John 15. If you look one chapter before in John 14, verses 15 through 23, you see three times in there the same truth. I'll read one of them for you. In verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. So three times in chapter 14, once in chapter 15, and in 1 John 2, 5, it says, But if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. We're talking about having fellowship with God today, loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Did you know that one of the tests of his love for us is whether we will obey him in what he's already revealed to us? And again, the result of our obedience is fruit and joy and glory to God. So let's obey now, the application of this, I, I want to put it this way. This is where the rubber meets the road in regard to humility. Humility, as I've mentioned a few times already, and I'm, I know that I'll mention it again, humility is one of the key character traits that we must have before God. If we want to follow him, we need to humble ourselves before him in his ways and say, okay, God, you have it your way. Will you do what God commands? Proud people live their lives according to their own desires. Proud people say, you know, I kind of have it figured out what I want to do and I'm going to do it my way. Humble people submit to God's ways. How do you do it that? How do you do it following God's commands? 
In our house, we have a sticker chart for Josiah. And on this sticker chart are several categories that he's supposed to do throughout the day. Things like brushing his teeth, clearing the table. One of the things, the most important one, the reason we made this chart, one of those categories is that he is to joyfully obey his parents all day long. And if he doesn't do a very good job of it, he gets a big black X on there. We're, we're trying to teach him how to do it. But if he does it, he gets a sticker at the end of the day. We're trying to show him the importance of obedience. Now, we are Josiah's parents, but we have a heavenly father. And if you had a sticker chart from your heavenly father, how would you be doing in the joyfully obey category? Remember, it's not just obey. It's not just like, okay, I'll do it. Joyfully obeying, realizing that the fruit in our life is produced as we remain connected to Jesus, and one of the ways we remain connected to Him is by obeying Him. How are you doing at that? Okay, then letter D. We remain in Jesus through prayer. Again, two weeks ago I preached on prayer. So you see how this is all coming together here? We see some pretty stunning truths in this passage about prayer. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And then verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. It's true. God will give us what we ask for in prayer if we remain connected to him. Here's how it works. When we abide in Christ, our will lines up with his. We become more like Christ and therefore our prayers become more like the prayers that Jesus would pray. When we pray like Jesus does, when we pray according to God's will, God answers our prayers. So as we draw from the life-giving nourishment of the vine, the very life of Jesus courses through our veins. We become more like him and our prayers get answered as we submit to his will. So prayer in Jesus' name and according to his will is one of the ways that we remain connected to the vine. And, and prayer becomes one of the ways that we remain in close fellowship with God. So what kind of things can we pray for? What kind of things do we know are God's will? Well, we know that God wants us to have a closer walk with him, so let's pray for it. We know that God wants us to have the strength to obey, so let's pray for it. You kind of get the pattern I'm, I'm going at here in case you haven't gotten the pattern yet. We know that God wants us to have fellowship with each other, so let's pray for it. My application here, get to know God's will and then pray confidently. And this is one of the things I love about God, that he wants us to know him. It's not like he's playing some cosmic game of hide and seek with us. He wants us to seek him and to find him. He wants us to know the will that he has revealed to us. And when we know that will, we can pray it and trust that he will produce what he wants to in our lives. I think it's a fascinating truth of God that we get what we pray for when it's his will. That's why we need to train ourselves to know his will more and more. Okay, so as I wrap up this first main point, which again is much longer than my second main point, I want to remind you that we depend on Jesus. Now that sounds like something that they should be talking about in children's church, right? It sounds like a first grade Sunday school lesson. We depend on who class? On Jesus, right? But it's so important. It's not a lesson that we've graduated from and moved on to something else. 
It's the foundation. We can do everything through Christ and nothing apart from Him. Philippians 4.13 talks about how we can do everything through Him who strengthens us. And in our passage today, in verses 4 and 5, it says we can do nothing apart from Him. We were created to bear fruit. In verse 8 it says that we were created to bear much fruit. And then in verse 16 it says that we were created to bear fruit that will last. I want that kind of fruit in my life and in your lives. We get that kind of fruit only as we remain connected to the vine. So are you meeting regularly with Jesus? We're talking about a deep spiritual connection with God here. We're not talking about some sort of mechanistic, legalistic, check-the-box sort of effort that we put in. We're talking about our hearts being connected to God on a regular basis, continually. So let's be people who meet with Jesus. God wants to bless His followers. It's for God's glory that we would follow Jesus and bear fruit. That's what verse 8 says. This is to my Father's glory. Does God want glory for himself? Yeah, that's kind of what he's in the business of doing. He wants that for himself, and it tells us here that he gets glory as we bear fruit, as we are disciples. So my first point, God receives glory as we remain in Jesus. But it's interesting then to to me to see the connection that Jesus made. We're to remain in Him and then flowing out of that relationship with Him, we are to love others. Verse 12, Jesus says it this way, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So my second point is simply, we must love each other. As we love God rightly with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, that love is to overflow to other people. As God pours his love into our hearts, we're to be full cups. Have you ever seen that illustration? You, you put a, a cup down on a chair or on a saucer, and, and then you start filling the cup, and then you fill it so much that it's overflowing, and you just keep pouring and pouring and pouring. And the cup always stays full, but it po- overflows into so many other areas. That's what our love is to be like. We're to continually love God and let that love overflow to other people. D.A. Carson says, By an unbreakable chain, love for God is tied to and verified by love for others. So our lives are to be defined by love for God and our lives are to be defined by love for other people. And just like earlier, where Jesus set the example in, in obedience, now he sets the example again in verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. What's Jesus talking about there? He's talking about the cross. He's talking about his great love for us, where he took our sin upon himself, paid our penalty that we could never pay so that we don't have to, so that we could have eternal life, so that all who receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord can live with him forever. That's his love for us. Now he asks that we love others. So if we love Jesus We must love others. Now there are two other verses that I want to point out to you as we talk about this kind of fellowship with each other. These verses are also from our core values, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. I invite you to turn to them if you have your Bibles with you because I I don't think we had room for them in the bulletin today. Um, 
But I wanted to point out a few things from them. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The, the first command in here is that we are to consider how to do this. It means that we are to put mental effort into figuring out how we can spur each other on to love and good deeds. And then also there, the command is that we are to encourage each other. Now one of the things that I love about Cornerstone Church is the way that we encourage each other. Whether we're getting together on a Sunday morning or a Bible study or lunch on Tuesday or whenever it might be, even if we just see each other at the grocery store, I love how we encourage each other. I am encouraged when I see the rest of you pursuing God. Think how discouraging it would be if you were the only person in Fergus Falls that cared a whit about following God. I mean, we could do it. We could walk with God. I believe that God could strengthen us if we were the only believer in this town. But think how much more encouraging it is as we run into each other, as we help each other, as we spur each other on, as we're reminded by the faith of others. And I like that about us here. I feel that that goes on. I feel like we're a group of people who cares what God wants who cares about pursuing God on a daily basis. So thank you all for encouraging me. But, but let's not rest on our laurels here. Let's keep going. Let's keep considering how we might spur each other on, how we might encourage each other. <coughs> In John 13, Jesus reminds us of one of the ways that the world will know that we are disciples of Christ. He says in there, they'll know that you're my followers by the way that you love each other. So our love here is on display for the world to see. And that's one of the things that we're to be as the church, as we talk about, and we'll talk about this later in our series, we talk about wanting to go beyond the four walls of our church. We talk about showing the community the love of Christ. And one of the ways, one of the best ways that we can do that is by letting them see our love for each other, the way that we care Okay, so from that Hebrews passage, there's two things we're supposed to do. We're to consider how to spur each other on, and we're to encourage each other. Let's be proactive in this. Let's not just wait for it to happen. Let's not just assume that it will happen. Let's be proactive. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were increasingly around town, known more and more for our love for each other? So let's be committed to that kind of fellowship. Every one of you doing your part to spur each other on and to encourage each other and to love each other. But then there's also one thing in that Hebrews passage that tells us that we are not to do. We are not to give up meeting together. Some people say, I love God, I just don't like his children. I, that annoys me increasingly. <laughs> and, and in fact, the Bible says you can't do it. You can't, you can't love God and not love his children. It means you don't love God because we can't... He says, how can you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen? Lots of people make excuses for not being regularly involved in fellowship. Things like, oh, I want to sleep in. Or I have other things to do. Or I can watch church on TV. But we are not to give up meeting together. It's not just you and God. It's the rest of us, too. So how committed are you to this kind of fellowship with other believers? Let's make time in our schedules for each other 
And, and I would hope that that's not a burden to you. I'd hope that that would be a great joy. It's a joy to me to meet with you all. Let's show God's love to each other. That's one of the ways that we bear fruit, and it's one of the ways that God gets glory. Okay, for my conclusion here. We're talking about fruitfulness and discipleship today. Fruitfulness and discipleship. The way that we bear fruit and the way that we show ourselves to be disciples is to remain connected to Jesus and to show his love to others. That's the fruit that God wants to produce in us. And look again at some of the descriptions of how that fruit will look in our lives from John 15. Joy, lasting fruit, friendship with Jesus, and glory to God. Are those things worth pursuing? We get these things by remaining in Jesus, by loving him, by obeying his commands. And one of the most important commands that we are to obey is the command to love each other. Now I started out today by telling you that story about my friend Hyrula and the the jaw-dropping fruit that he saw in that vision, in his dream. That kind of fruit is produced in us as we remain connected to Jesus. That's what discipleship is about. Let's be disciples who walk closely with Jesus. And as we do that, let's help others know how to walk with Jesus. Let's love each other and let's teach each other how to love each other. So again, what I've been doing with each of these lessons in the series, I have an accompanying study guide and I'll just remind you again, lesson number five is on the back table. You can pick one up. You can go through it with somebody and your your understanding of this message will be enhanced as you go through this lesson on your own and as you go through it with other people as well. So I encourage you to pick up one of those lessons and go through it with somebody. Because God wants to produce fruit in us. Let's submit to his plan and let him do what he wants to do in us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the fruit that you want to produce in us. May it be for your glory, Lord, as you do that. May we remain in Jesus, connected to the vine. Lord, do your work in us, that pruning work that you want to do to clean us, to make us more holy. I pray that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And again, Lord, I feel like that is such an all-encompassing task. Um, I feel inadequate to, to figure out how to explain it. But Lord... Would you produce that in us? Would you help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And as we do that, Lord, may your love overflow to the people around us. May we love our neighbors as ourselves. May we love each other. May we be known at Cornerstone as people who love you and as people who love each other. And again, Lord, may it be for your glory. May you produce that jaw-dropping fruit in our lives that you would receive the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.